About 30 years ago, American political consultant James Carville said during former U.S. President Bill Clinton's successful 1992 presidential campaign, it's the economy, stupid. Today, a growing chorus of Israeli economists are echoing this phrase while attempting to pause the government's judicial overhaul legislation to maintain Israel's up till now flourishing growth. We're now at a crossroad and I'm extremely concerned. But when I look back, I think we've done tremendously well. And that's why I think we have so much to lose. That's Professor Karnit Flug, a former governor of the Bank of Israel. Today, she is the vice president of research and the William Davidson Senior Fellow for Economic Policy at the Israel Democracy Institute. She's also a professor at the Department of Economics in the Hebrew University. This week, the Bank of Israel issued its financial stability report for the first half of 2023. In it, it warned that growing and prolonged uncertainty around the implications of the controversial legislation poses a threat to the country's financial system and economy. In our talk, Flug gives concrete examples of what she and other analysts are seeing right now. So this week, we asked Professor Karnit Flug, what matters now? Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachechlawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Karnit, thank you so much for joining me here today in the Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. Thank you for inviting me. Such a pleasure to meet you and to see you. In this week in which a series of somewhat, I would say, dire financial reports are being issued, I wonder and I ask you, what matters now? What I really think matters is that an announcement should be made that no more legislation affecting the judiciary will be advanced without a broad consensus. And I think it's important to start uh, the journey towards restoring trust and towards healing the deep divisions in the Israeli society. Okay, we are going to dive into all of that, especially the issue of trust and the psychology of the finances here. But first of all, could you just tell me what is Israel's economy made up of in a very general way? Okay, the Israel economy is an advanced economy. We always uh, used to say that it's a small open economy. It's still open, but it's not that small, actually. And uh, when you look at the composition of the economy, it's uh, 
quite similar in general terms to most advanced economies where more than half of the business sector of the of the GDP of the business sector is uh, commerce and services about 18 percent is uh, communication and transportation about 18 percent is industry and seven percent is construction so I think it's it's not atypical but what is in some way uh, distinct about the Israeli economy is the importance of the high-tech sector, which has both services and, uh, and also industry, but mostly services. And that accounts for about 18%. That was the number for 2022 of the GDP, which is really very extreme. It's the highest in any advanced economies. So that, that's a very important feature uh, something that describes the Israeli economy. And I can, of course, talk a bit more about the importance. It's not only the share of, in GDP, it's also the most dynamic sector. It's a sector that has been responsible for about 40% of our growth in the last uh, five years. It accounts for uh, about 56% of our exports and 25% of our um, uh, of the tax direct taxes so it's an extremely important sector we have a relatively small tourism sector actually it's uh, quite uh, i think surprising because you know israel has so much to offer in terms it's of the holy land right in terms of history and in terms of culture and in terms of religion, but uh, tourism accounts for less than 3% of GDP. And if you compare it to countries like Spain or Italy or Greece, it's a much, it's less than a third of uh, the weight in these countries. By the way, this was something that sort of uh, shielded us from a much worse crisis during the COVID because all these countries that are very dependent on tourism and that it accounts for a lot of their uh, output and employment actually suffered a terrible blow during COVID and Israel because of the two sectors actually because of the importance of the high-tech sector which continued to flourish during uh, COVID and the very small tourism sector that got hit, but it's a very small sector. Actually, we went through the COVID crisis with a relatively mild effect of it and very short-lived effect. This puts a lot of context into the very explosive comments and, and protest movement coming out from the high-tech sector, because as you're saying, they are a really big vote in terms of our financial stability and our economy. Now, I want to uh, also just hear a little bit about the Bank of Israel. Israel, what it is and what it does. Well, the Bank of Israel is, first of all, it's the central bank, which does, which is important, uh, which is responsible for monetary policy, for setting the interest rate, for maintaining our uh, foreign exchange reserves. It also has a role as the uh, regulator of banks. And that's something that not in all central banks, the banking supervision sits within the central bank. Uh, it's responsible for all the payment system, which is, again, a typical job of a central bank. 
but the governor of the central bank has also a relatively unique uh, role as the economic advisor to the government. And that's something that is atypical, and normally these roles are separated. But in the case of Israel, since the establishment of the Bank of Israel, the governor was the advisor, the economic advisor to the government, and therefore he not only is responsible directly for monetary policy, but he also uh, presents the analysis of economic processes, he brings his recommendations, and he uh, is expected to have a very clear view and voice it regarding the, what's affecting the economy and where the economy is going. And is this an independent opinion or is this some kind of politically swayed appointment? No, it's it has always been an independent uh, institution. The uh, law that was changed, a new law of uh, the Bank of Israel law, uh, which was uh, enacted in 2010, formally establishes its independent. And in practice, uh, the governors were always uh, professionals, not affiliated politically, and were all, you know, very highly regarded uh, uh, experts in, eco in the economy. And I think their political views were never actually uh, a factor, neither were they known. So, and, and I have to say, I very much hope that this will continue because I think being a highly regarded institution and independent is very important for the uh, economic stability and economic prosperity of Israel. Uh, if you see the comments made, for example, by rating agencies, they also always mention the strengths of the bank, its professional strengths as an important element in the uh, functioning of the economy. Now, there are some who are saying that the current judicial overhaul legislation could affect the independence of the Bank of Israel. Do you see that happening? Well, it's not part of what was uh, announced as the judicial uh, overall. Uh, however, uh, in parallel, and maybe it's related and maybe it's not related, you hear a lot of comments uh, regarding the Bank of Israel that have, uh, I would say that they are a source of concern. I think, for example, when some uh, members of the parliament, of the coalition, or uh, some people in the government comment about the, the mere fact that the governor is voicing his view about the economic consequences of the, uh, uh, of the judicial overall, uh, the, the kind of comments that we've heard are certainly a source of concern because it seems that they don't really understand the importance and the role of this uh, of the governor as the economic advisor he would not fulfill his duty as the economic advisor if he would not voice his views his concern his analysis about the consequences of the uh, of this uh, overall now, you, most of your career, you were inside the Bank of Israel, and this is, in a way, a, a public service job, is it not? Yes, it is. I, I view my, I viewed myself, actually, I still do, but I viewed myself always as a public servant. And I think this is how people at the bank, 
from uh, the most junior to the most senior position view themselves as public servants, definitely. I think that uh, people who care about Israel and about the Israeli economy uh, have to a duty to, f- to voice their views uh, based on their most uh, you know in-depth analysis and most uh, bo- based on their uh, on their professional judgment and I think that was that's what is expected uh, of every public servant okay let's talk about how one can analyze what is could happen meaning the judicial overhaul only one piece of the legislation has gone through so far which obviously has caused waves not just ripples waves throughout our economy or at least the feeling of how it could uh, affect our economy but let's talk about the really hard measures that we have to actually analyze this through through data through science so I think that uh, you have to uh, maybe b- make a distinction between short-term effects that we've already seen and projections of what may happen based on sort of a, a, a scenario which looks at what is happening if these kind of processes go on uh, based on the experience of other countries and of research that has been actually uh, looked at these uh, at these kind of uh, effects so and it's important to make the distinction because some of the effects are relatively immediate or are already uh, showing in the short term what are you seeing I will go through some indicators but the others are the only will actually materialize only over a much longer period of time so we can say well we haven't seen them so we, we're not concerned but I think it's not a, a good uh, strategy so what we have been seeing and and maybe one other comment before I'll talk about the exact indicators I think what has changed between a the a week ago and now when the first uh, pillar of the legislation actually went through is a, a difference between a legislation that was considered a scenario that could materialize and therefore it if it materializes it's a risk that we can talk about and between the current situation where actually this scenario started to materialize we don't know yet exactly how but at least the it has begun to materialize and I think that's part of why uh, the level of concern has been uh, going up and we see that in the market because it's no longer theoretical right and because it's starting to materialize and there is a realization that there is the will and there is the power to actually go through this legislation without the a broad uh, agreement there are some uh, statements that go in the other direction but they're always with an asterisk saying but yes we can so what have we seen and here I think uh, one way is to look at really what happened to the main indicators over the last six months or so since the announcement of uh, the intention to legislate this very extreme, And controversial 
overall of the judicial system. What we have seen is the weakening of the shekel against all currencies, and you can actually measure the excessive weakening of the shekel because uh, there are all kinds of things that are affecting the dollar and that are affecting the shekel beyond or regardless of of the political uh, developments and there are models that actually were quite good in predicting the short term the short term uh, evolution of the shekel so when you play or use these models, you can see what is not explained. And you see actually that there is a divergence towards weakening of the shekel from that model. And and the Bank of Israel did this work and it was published and they showed that about 10% of the depreciation of the shekel vis-a-vis a basket of currencies is related to, to uh, the legislation. 10% of uh, depreciation also means about between 1% and 2% of additional inflation. So we've been talking about the inflation uh, moving up, and in some countries we've already seen uh, the decline of inflation. So you can uh, attribute about 1.5% of the current inflation, which stands at about 4.5%, to, uh, to the legislation. That also means that some of the uh, additional interest rate hike that the Bank of Israel had to actually uh, to apply because of the higher inflation can be attributed to the uh, to the legislation, which means higher interest rates on our mortgages and our all our credit. So these are this is the kind of things that we've already seen. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. Another uh, element is the divergence between the uh, stock exchange prices in Israel and, for example, the S&P 500. So if you look at the graph, you can see that for a long time, until the beginning of the year, the trends went together. And then all of a sudden you see this divergence. And there is a gap of something between 20 and 25% between the level of indices that represent the S&P 500 and the indices of uh, Tel Aviv 125 or Tel Aviv 35. Or, so it's a substantial 
loss in terms of the value of our assets and it affects pensions and it affects the value of all our financial assets. So this is another uh, example that you can actually quantify. And the third uh, element that you can see very clearly is the uh, drop in uh, investment in our high-tech sector. Now, there was a drop everywhere. And people say that, and that's true. But when you see the uh, the extent or the percentage of the decline, you can see that it was much sharper here. And while you start seeing recovery in investment in high-tech sector in other places, we haven't seen it here. So this is, again, an element which is crucial because our high-tech sector, and I explained in the beginning how important it is for the economy, for the employment, for the prosperity, for taxes. If that sector really suffers a severe blow, it means a severe blow for the economy as a whole. Another indicator of the effect of the uh, of the legislation and the fear from where we're going is the fact that uh, Israeli startups are now actually listing themselves in the US and not here. If before all of this uh, started, there was about 80% of the listing of Israeli companies was in Israel and 20% uh, listed themselves uh, in, in the US. Now it's the reverse. Now, it, this is much harder to quantify, but it's clearly affecting the sector that was the engine of growth in the last five years and was very important also to our resilience. We've gone through some very severe global shocks and the Israeli economy actually performed quite well. The effects were relatively not that uh, severe and it's partly because of the, the sector. I think it's also because of the institutions that were actually able to deal with these shocks, so I think we're really um, we're really weakening ourselves in in many many aspects. Everything you've described has taken place in a relatively short period of time. Does that mean that it's like a fresh stain? It's something we can easily wipe off of that white dress and get our economy back on its feet? I wish I could uh, say yes, but I am not sure. I think that even if we do or if the government do, and if the prime minister actually do what I think should be done, which is the announcement that I said before, and, uh, and take some other actions, I think the, uh, the fact that the, the, the drift in the society, the divisions of, in the society will be much harder to heal. I think trust has been lost, and that's true between the government and a big part of the population, but also between the government and some, uh, and some, for example, the rating agencies or some other external. I'm, I'm not putting it on the same footing, but I think the issue of trust is so difficult to actually build and so easy to destroy. 
So let's talk about a little bit the psychology of the economy. Nobody can forget the scenes in, for example, Mary Poppins when the little boy is asking for his tuppence bank back and the bank crashes, or in It's a Wonderful Life and the same thing kind of happens. How much does the public's psychology, the public's perception of the stability of their country affect the economy? Well, I think that there are some parts of the economy that are, and again, I'm going back to the most dynamic part, that are very mobile and they can choose and they can be, they're much more reactive to, to these kinds of, uh, of uh, developments. Uh, if you're an investor, and you're not sure that the rules of the games are stable. You're not sure that you will have the, uh, the ability to go to the court if a decision seems to you by the government or by any governmental uh, body that it's arbitrary and it doesn't make sense. You had the, normally the protection of the courts. If you will not have that, you'll think twice whether you want to really invest your your money, your your abilities uh, in a place like that. And and I think there are some parts of the uh, of the economy of the society that are less mobile, and that will always be here. But I think it's this uh, the, the 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 parts that are very dependent on investment from abroad and on the decisions of uh, very bright uh, entrepreneurs and people in technology and so on, they can choose. And I very much hope that we will restore in some way their trust and their will to actually put all their abilities here and not somewhere else. So one of the measures that you instituted as governor is this Financial Stability Committee. What is its role and could it save us here? Well, uh, the Financial Stability Committee was set to, to coordinate between the financial regulators and to look at all the uh, parts of the financial system in a more holistic way. I'm not sure it can save us from the things we talked about before. It's very important. And actually, these kind of uh, committees were set in many places as a lesson from the global financial crisis of 2008, when I think the realization was that risks can move from one part of the financial system to another part. And you may actually not be, if you're not, uh, looking at all of the system as one and uh, exchange information, for example, between the different regulators, you may actually have some blind spots. And I think the Financial uh, Stability Committee is important for that. I'm not sure it can save us from ourselves. <laughs> Let's talk about more of a long-term view. Israel is, of course, the startup nation, which plays into the 75 years young mindset of, of Israelis in general and the yeah, but that it'll be okay mentality. But long-term thinking, it appears to anyone who studies the demography of the country that uh, a large chunk of our population in, what, 20, 30 years is not going to be employed. So how does that work into all the financial forecasting that uh, people such as yourself do? 
Well, I think that uh, the f- demographics or the growing share of the Haredi population uh, is certainly something that we have to uh, to analyze its effect. Now, I, I it's hard for me to foresee or to believe that the economy will continue to uh, flourish if the Haredi uh, community does not somehow get more engaged into the economic uh, activity in Israel. So, and uh, what worries me very much is that the recent uh, decisions by the government and the coalition agreement actually provides all the wrong uh, incentives in terms of uh, trying to actually uh, incentivize uh, people from the Haredi community to get the right skills, to get the basic skills that will allow them to to be in the labor market and to get a decent uh, income from that. Uh, so the fact that we are actually expanding the budgets to, uh, to these institutions that don't teach any basic skills and the fact that we provide further incentives to actually uh, stay outside of the labor market, I think is very worrisome. I don't see how Israel uh, can continue functioning in uh, 30 or 40 years when this part of the population will be about one third up from about 13 that there are now without change, a, a serious change in the way that they are engaged in economic activity. Everything you said is extremely depressing, I have to say, but I feel like there is some kind of ray of hope that I can pull out of you somewhere. So perhaps in this direction, your research was about labor, labor markets, and are you seeing any kind of improvements in the labor markets over the past several decades? Oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of improvements, actually, um, in many aspects. I have to say that we're now at a crossroad and I'm extremely concerned. But when I look back, I think we've done tremendously well. And that's why I think we have so much to lose. If you look at the uh, participation in the labor market, there was a huge jump in the participation in the labor market. And in spite of the fact that there is this part of society that is very uh modestly engaged in the labor markets. When you look at the average, we are higher in terms of labor force participation or employment than most advanced economies. We have seen quite a substantial decline in income inequality because of this process of more people getting into the labor market. We've seen really a lot of uh, achievements uh, in terms of growth, in terms of resilience. The Israeli economy withstood in a very impressive way the last two global uh, crises because of the things that we talked about. So I think there is a lot to be, you know, uh, to be very impressed with. And I think that's why we have so much to lose. And that's why I try in all my ways to to, to explain why we should stop this madness and go back to a more, uh, you know, constructive path. My final question for you is more of a personal thing. How did you feel the first time that you saw your signature on the shekel bills? 
Wow, <laughs> that's not a question that I was asked before. Uh, actually, it gave me some kind of pride, I have to say. I still, uh, when I pay with the bills with my signature, I sort of check and I say, wow, well, I did something. You definitely did. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. For now, writes my colleague Sharon Verbal, our Tech Israel editor, the Bank of Israel sees the Israeli economy growing at a rate of 3% in each of the years 2023 and 2024. But as the main risk to the forecast, the central bank cited a scenario in which the advancement of the legal and institutional changes leads to an increase in Israel's risk premium. Now, those are fancy words, and I have to admit that my understanding of how a national economy works or doesn't is very basic. But basically speaking, just as a consumer, why would I place my own money in an unstable situation? Special thanks to Charlie Summers, who helps me with the What Matters Now transcripts. This episode was recorded at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. What Matters Now is produced and edited by the Podwaves. Have a comment about this or other episodes of What Matters Now? Email us at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Look for more What Matters Now episodes and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, shalom. Shalom.